Hey, welcome to Radiant Teen Life, where we talk about girl problems and the importance of staying physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy through your teen years. Introducing your host, Life Coach Gina Faubert. Welcome back to another episode. This is probably the most important topic that I discuss in coaching sessions, in camps. In fact, this is one of those sessions that I really wish that every girl learned, you know, right out of the get-go when she was like 10 years old. And that is this misconception. How many of you have heard that girls are so emotional? You guys heard this idea that we can't control our emotions and that because we're so emotional that we're expected to have, you know, mood swings and outbursts and not be able to have strategies to manage our emotions. Now that I know that that's possible and that you absolutely can, it drives me crazy that adults perpetuate that idea into kids because we end up living in this space and time caught up in our emotions because we believe that that's just the way that girls are or that's the way that we are as human beings is that we are made to feel a certain way. So I'm going to give you a little bit of neuroscience today. I'm going to try not to be, you know, technical and nerdy about it, but I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this stuff. So forgive me if it's a little bit nerdy, but here we go. The way that your brain works is initially, if you could think of like a snowman with like four circles instead of three, the top one has to do with thoughts. So the first thing that enters your brain is a thought. So it could be, I'm late for school, or it could be, I have a test coming up tomorrow, or it could be that boy just looked at me. So that is a thought. That's it. It's just a thought. But the next snowman circle below that, the way that our brain interprets that is it gives meaning to that. Now, sometimes it doesn't give any meaning. So that guy looks over at us and we dismiss it. We don't even think twice about it. But sometimes we give it a meaning like, I wonder if he likes me or, oh my God, he's looking my way or, ew, I heard that guy had a crush on me and now he's staring at me. And so whatever meaning we give that thought then creates an emotion. And so what that means is that whatever meaning that we have, we have the ability to influence our emotions And thoughts, they kind of come and go. They are random. They are flooded through. We don't have a lot of control over managing our thoughts, but we have complete control over how we manage our emotions. The meaning that we give it is what dictates how we're going to feel. So if someone is being really irritating, if we give that a meaning like, and that's really important to me, and I don't like it, and I need them to stop, then we're going to be stressed about that. But if they're being really irritating and the meaning that we give it is that's kind of amusing or I don't really care, like it doesn't matter to me, then we're able to let it go quite easily. And so it's really important that you pay attention to the meaning that you give things. Otherwise, you're going to be taken for a ride with just about every you know, thought that passes through your brain. And if you're not noticing the story that you're telling or the meaning that you're giving it, you're going to be flooded with emotion. That is like a roller coaster. That's why some of us feel anxious and upset and angry. And we just go through these motions because the external world is influencing us. And if we're not paying attention to the meaning that we're giving things, we're really caught into that storm. So I said there was four circles. 
So the fourth circle on that snowman is physical response. So we've got thought at the top, the meaning that we give it, that creates an emotional response. And that emotional response then creates a physical response. So the physical response, if it's joy or excitement that that boy is looking at us, it might be dopamine, right? Or it might be adrenaline. Maybe all of a sudden your heart starts racing. You're like, oh my God, my, and the physical response might be your palms are sweating, right? Or maybe if it's someone that you're not interested in or that you're stressed about, you know, that he looks over, it might create anxiety. It might create stress. It might, you know, create tension in your body. So the meaning that you give that creates an emotional response and those emotions, all of those feelings create a response in your hormonal system. So serotonin, dopamine, adrenaline, all of those hormones begin to be stimulated and flow through your body. Now, here's the interesting thing is if you practice certain emotions, if you allow yourself to experience certain emotions because you've told stories or you have a certain meaning to things, then you practice that pathway in your brain where you believe something to be true and you have that emotional response and then you have that physical response and it happens so quick that you don't realize that you've created that scenario, okay? So if every time you think about taking tests, you have the belief that you suck at taking tests and that it's going to go horribly, then you, you know, process that in an emotion of anxiety and then a physical response of having an anxiety attack or anxiety symptoms. And the, then the, 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 you know, the idea is, is that, oh, every time I do a test, I have anxiety. There's a piece in between. There's a thought and a belief that you suck at taking tests. That is the problem. And so I see a lot of girls try to manage anxiety or they try to avoid the situation. But what really is the solution, you know, because those are managing symptoms. The solution is really taking a look at what is it that I believe to be true? And can I dig into that? Can I question that? Maybe I need to get better at taking tests. Or maybe I need to change my thought process, or maybe I need to, to gain some skills of how to manage my thinking or the belief that I have so that when I do have tests, I'm not managing anxiety. Okay. So if, I hope that makes sense to you guys. And if you want to dig in and have some one-on-one -on -one time so I can help you with your specific situations, I'd love to do that. But I know you're saying, okay, how do I apply this? So let me give you a couple examples. When you come to camp, the first thing that we do is we play a little game that proves the point that you have control of your emotions. So I'll say, let's say, for example, tomorrow morning, you got to get up at 4 a.m. And you got to get up, get dressed and be out of the house by like 4.30. How do you feel about it? Show me what it looks like for you to have to get up in the middle of the night in the dark and, you know, get dressed and know that for the rest of the day, it's going to be action packed and full of things that you got to see and do all day long. How's that feel? And everybody kind of like shows me that, oh, oh my God, oh, it's going to be awful. And they're like whiny and cranky because 4 a.m. sucks. And I said, but what if it was 4 a.m. because you're hopping on a plane to go to Disneyland? Oh my God. Well, that'd be so amazing. 
I would totally like throw on my clothes and I'd be at the door and I'd have energy for the whole day, right? Like it would just be the anticipation and an excitement for what's to come. Or maybe it's Christmas morning and like you have been waiting for something and you know that your parents got it or you're pretty sure you're going to get it. And, you know, they wake you up and say, you got to see what's under the tree, you know, a completely different response. You'd, it wouldn't take you half an hour to get dressed. You wouldn't even get dressed. You'd just be like, I'm up, I'm good. Right. And so the meaning that we give it, it's what creates the emotional response. It's not the facts. It's not the getting up at 4am that causes us. It's the, it's the why it's the reason behind it or the meaning that we give it that creates that. So here's the thing, if that's possible, if all you need to do is switch your why or switch the meaning, then in things that are hard for you, if you change the meaning, it would get easier, right? So another example that I use at camp is your mom said you have to clean your room and you have to clean it up. And on top of that, you got to make sure your bathroom is clean and we've got to organize the house and everything needs to be done and it has to be done now. And you've got like an hour and a half to do it. Oh, that kind of sucks. I don't like cleaning my room. It's pretty messy. Like, oh, who likes to, you know, right now? How about later? Right? But if it was because you're having a whole bunch of friends come over, like it was like, okay, let's do this. Because there's meaning, there's purpose, there's a why, there's a belief or a story behind it that allows you to find the emotion to take action. And so if there's something that you want, if there's an energy that you want to produce, if there's a, an excitement, if there's a mindset, if there's action that you need to take and you're struggling to kind of figure it out, you have to find a different meaning. And if you can tap into something that's consistent, some kind of meaning, some kind of mantra, some kind of belief system that is the best version of you. And you can call that forward when you need it and you practice that. It's not going to work right out of the gate and all the time, depending on the variety and the intensity. But if you're able to do that, you're set. So one of the things that I did, I'll give you this example because it's, it's a big one. I think I've referred to it in a couple other is I was offered the opportunity to work with Canadian military and first responders who are on leave for PTSD. Now, what that means is, is that they have anxiety that is like so high and so intense that it just takes one thought and boom, they're feeling those physical symptoms in their body that happen because they feel like they don't have control. And so not only did I help them with the strategy that I just mentioned to you, but I had to do it for myself because I'm working with people that are at risk of you know, of ending their life. And they've seen things and experienced things that are so traumatic. And of course I thought to myself, well, what am I going to offer them? How can I support them? And what if I get, you know, into my own head and I start doubting my skills? Well, how am I going to serve them? How am I going to help them? If I'm not confident and you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but someone who's been to the military, they get a sense of confidence and, and domination. They're testing you, especially if you're going to tell them that you're going to help them with their brain and focus and therapeutic process when they've experienced some pretty crazy things. So I had to get into state and I had to believe that I was going to be able to serve them. And my thought process was, 
I'm here to serve them and they're in front of me and I have the opportunity to really support them with what I know. And if I get caught up in my doubts and my questioning of myself and what's possible and if they're, you know, really like me or if they can understand it, I'm not going to be able to help them at all. So what do I got to do? Well, I got to do a couple of things. First and foremost, in order to get into that emotional state that you want to get into, think back to a time where you felt confident, where you felt assurance, you felt strong, you felt powerful. What were you doing with your body at that time? Think about it. If you're feeling strong, if you're feeling powerful, if you're feeling confident, my bet is you weren't slouching your shoulders and hunched over. You're probably not crossing your arms. You're probably not breathing shallowly and looking down. And your voice was probably not monotone like this, right? So with your physical body, your brain responds. If I sat like this and I did a podcast with my body and my voice like this, you can imagine what my emotions would feel like, right? I would feel flat. I'd feel tired. I'd feel a lack of energy. Why does that happen? Because my brain says, oh, if we're doing this, this is the, the body language of feeling sad or bored or tired. And so it fires off that chemical reaction. And so if I move my body, so my shoulders are back, my rib cage is open, my voice is you know, fluctuating and up and a little bit more loud, and maybe I'm making eye contact. I'm, I'm moving my body like I typically would when I'm excited, when I'm engaged, when I'm confident, when I'm feeling powerful and strong. Then my brain triggers, oh, those are the emotions that we want. So just like we went down with the snowman going down, we can also go up, right? On a previous uh, podcast, we had Prina say, fake it till you make it, right? And so fake it till you make it works by getting your body into that place where you're pulling yourself up, you're dropping your shoulders, you're taking a deep breath. And then the movement or that positioning of your body allows you to shift your emotions and those shifts of emotions can then shift your beliefs. So sometimes we go up, okay? And then once your beliefs are shifted, you go, well, I think I got this. Then your thought is, oh, I've got a really great way to make this happen, right? So sometimes you start with the meaning, you check it out, you notice it, you adjust it. And sometimes your meaning is, yeah, I really do suck at tests. And this is like, my experience is this is not going to work out. It's like, well, I better get my body in place. I'm going to stand tall. I'm going to take some deep breaths. Maybe I'm going to sing a little bit. Maybe I'm going to move my diaphragm. Maybe I'm going to do some yoga. Maybe I'll go for a walk. I'm going to move my body until I feel like, I've shifted my emotions. And that's what, once I get a shift in emotions, then I'm able to reach for a better feeling thought. And that is, I think I got this. I, th I think I can make this happen. And then the thought, and then you're like, yep, this is happening. Maybe those thoughts are affirmations. Like when you're in a confident state, if you can think back to the last time you felt confident, you think about the way your body was, think about what emotions you felt, Think about the thoughts that you had. What are, are the meaning that you had to those thoughts? Like, I got this. I've been through hard stuff before. I'll figure it out. I'm going to do my best. And that's all that I can do. Things always work out for me. Whatever those thoughts are that you start to allow to flow, they allow you to shift the way that you're feeling. And then, of course, the way that you're thinking. So 
up and down on that, on that sequence, on that snowman. Now, if I'm showing up and I want to serve someone at the highest level, and I don't want to go through this process, you know, um, jumbling up in my brain and thinking about the snowman, I sit down and I practice. I'm going to get my body in the right position. I'm going to have some very specific beliefs that I have in mind. What is my belief? My belief is I'm here to serve. I know I can help them with strategies. I know that I can serve them at the highest level if I stay calm and focused. And I'm put here in, on purpose. I, I want to help. So if I can get myself into that thought process and really put that into my body, I stay focused on it. I am sure about those beliefs and I got my body in place. Then the last thing I need to do is I need to name that version of me because it's my identity. That's a part of me. It's not me all the time, right? Because there are times where I'm not in this space, but in this point, in this, this sequence of focus and beliefs and body positioning, I can give myself a name like, you know, Queen Gina. For camps, my, my name is Gina Bina. And Gina Bina is someone who has fun, is silly, is obnoxious, jokes, laughs, can be playful. That's a, that's a different kind of coach than one that's coaching the Canadian military, right? And so Gina Bina shows up and she has a certain way that she holds her body. She has a certain way that she talks and that she's playful and what she's focused on and what she believes to be true, right? And so when I call forth, I'm like, okay, you know, Gina Bina, it's time. It's time to show up. She shows up and that's what comes out. And if there's something stressful that happens that kind of, you know, throws me off course, I have a little thought that goes, oh, hang on a minute. I'm getting off course. I got to call her back. And I land back there. How does this apply to you? So let's say, for example, you've taken a test and you were amazing. You knocked it out of the park and you were prepared, you're focused, you felt confident, like I got this, I know I'm gonna, I, I know I'm gonna kill this test, it's gonna be awesome. Notice who that person was, give it a name. Notice the body, notice the thought process, that internal dialogue, and notice what the, the meaning or the belief that you gave it. And then give it a name, like what version of you? You know, maybe it's a nickname that you had. Maybe it's the name that you make up, like, you know, Princess Xena, you know, whatever it is, right? And you practice showing up as that person, especially when times are a little bit tough. Now, where did I come up with all these weird things? Like, I didn't just make this up. This is strategy. This is pure psychology. But when I was in grade six, I went to three different schools. And that was a tough, tough year. I don't know if anybody here has been to more than one school in a transition year, but it was a big deal. And the first school I went to, I was super shy. I didn't know anyone and I was quiet and I would just sit and wait for someone to talk to me and hope that I would make friends. And I didn't really make friends. Like I was kind of like the shy one. I can't remember what my body language was, but my guess was, as it was pretty closed off and shy. Right. So I was like, oh, I don't know how to talk to people. And it had been reinforced because over the years, people had said, oh, she's the quiet, shy one. And I, I remember sort of looking around and noticing 
that the girls in my grade that were making friends and that were popular uh, were really outgoing. They were confident, outgoing, you know, talked to everyone, kind of did their thing. So when we moved to the second school, something happened on day one where I was kind of pushed into a situation where it appeared that I wasn't quiet and shy. I had to kind of put myself out there. And what was interesting was I go, Ooh, that kind of, that kind of feels good. We moved to a really small town in Nova Scotia and I came from Toronto and I had these really cool bracelets that nobody had seen before. They'd seen them like maybe on TV and stuff like that, but they didn't have these down there. So everybody was asking me about them and wanting to know if I could get them some. And I was like, Ooh, this, I'm like, I'm talking. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm from Toronto, you know, like, and I had this little bit of confidence with me and I had decided that this is the new me. It wasn't like my authentic me, but I was going to try it on and I was going to see if I could be that outgoing person. Now, where I got it wrong was I also thought that it, it meant being sassy and rude. Like sometimes we see those overly confident to the point where they're almost rude or they are rude. And I started thinking that that was going to be, you know, my ticket to popularity and to friendships. And luckily, <laughs> at some point during that year, we moved again and I got to start over <laughs> and I got to bring that level of confidence and connection with me to the third school but also my authentic kindness and connection with people. And that's where I made some of my friends that to this day are some of the most cherished friendships that I have ever made. And so I, I, I recognized in that moment that, you know, it was me, but it was a better version of me because I took risks in bringing that best part of me forward and being able to practice it even when I was in stressful situations where I didn't know anyone, where I was trying to make friends, where I was going to try out for a team, you know, all of those sort of situations where you were trying to like navigate life and you'd rather just kind of sit in the back corner and be shy and hope that nobody notices you to putting yourself out there and pushing through those fears and faking it till you make it, right? Faking, faking your confidence and showing people the version of you that you most want to show up, even though it doesn't feel like it's that easy to have that version of you show up. So that's sort of like a twist on faking it till you make it because you're not really faking you, you're faking your level of engagement, of intensity, of wanting to show up at that level. So, you know, being you really is a whole bunch of different versions of you. And you have the ability to choose which version of you shows up when, you know, there's the daughter, there's the friend, there's the maybe older sister, maybe there's the, the academic, you know, or the athlete. And so notice that how you show up in those different situations and those different environments is a slightly different version of you. And that has to do with the stories that you tell or the meaning that you give those situations and how you show up in those situations. And you have the ability to manipulate those by shifting the way that you think so that a better version of you shows up. If you want more confidence, if you want more connection, if you want to be more kind, 
you have the ability to pull that part out of you from a previous example of that, a previous time that you've had, give it a name and have that version of you show up when you need it. So I hope that wasn't too nerdy. I hope that wasn't too complex because I know it's a lot of layers of psychology, but this result or the, the takeaway is it is not true that you don't have control of your emotions. Okay. Of course we feel things, but we don't have to sit and live in a place of defeat, of anxiety, of overwhelm. We can feel it, but then we have the ability to shift that. And girls are emotional, but all people are emotional, but we are emotional because of our thinking and the beliefs that we give it. And we have the ability to shift that once we recognize that we've kind of gone down that rabbit hole so that we can move on. So we can be productive and resourceful and happy without having to sit and sulk in, in despair and, and get caught up or stuck in our emotions. So love to hear your comments on that. Love to chat with you in a session or see you in a camp or in one of our future programs. Please reach out to me if you have questions about that. I'd love to serve you guys. Have a great day and uh, take care for now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, check out some of our other episodes and follow us on social media. We have a website linked in the description. Make sure to take a look. Thanks again. Until next time.